Welcome to The Blueprints, the show where we talk about albums and how they shaped our lives. I'm your co-host Micah, and with me as always is Kiefer. Hi. Uh, today we'll be talking about the 2009 classic, Kid Cudi's Man on the Moon, The End of Day. Kid Cudi's 2009 album, Man on the Moon, End of Day, is seen by countless eyes as a modern-day masterpiece. It has influenced many musicians in today's era and paved the way for the emerging rappers in the internet age, such as ASAP Rocky, Travis Scott, Lil Uzi Vert, Juice World, and Playboy Cardi. Though Cuddy's career has been filled with highs and lows, both personally and musically, many still revere the original Man on the Moon as one of the best hip-hop albums of all time. With that being said, we found it worthwhile... <laughs> Looking at me like that. I don't know what you want me to do. The table is so high. I can only see your eyeballs. <laughs> With that being said, we thought it'd be worth diving into his first album and kind of analyzing what made it so special and why it still holds up today as one of the best albums of the past decade. So, Kiefer, today we're talking about Man on the Moon, buddy. All right. So you 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 did that really good, very eloquent intro. Um, <clears throat> Welcome to our total soft reboot of the Blueprints podcast. Uh, I'm your totally chili con co-host, Kiefer Lirette. What's up, what's up? I'm Chill Boy Micah. Today's episode is going to just be a totally chill and casual episode. We're just going to let our hair and our pants down for this one. Uh, this is just the organic evolution of our podcast. That's completely total. Uh, me, the famously chill Keith man, is going to help guide you along this journey with the most... Uh, Chill, chill, sounding, vibey, psychedelic bro, Kid Cuddy. We're doing it. We're on the easy boat, baby. Come on, step on up to the easy ferry. We're going to take you on a ride down the man on the moon. Um, if you don't know already, our podcast breaks down the albums that influenced our lives and the musical world around us. Uh, our first episode was the album that I grew up with, uh, A Night at the Opera. Episode two was an episode where we had a little bit of common ground with uh, Chance the Rapper's Acid Rap. And now we're at our third episode where we're going to be talking about Man on the Moon, which is what Micah's like pick was. So, hey. yeah. So, Man on the Moon is one of the most like important albums of my life, without an exaggeration. It is definitely something that has kind of shaped my younger teenage years up into adulthood. It's something I've listened to since 2009, and for almost 10 years now. The 10-year uh, anniversary is in September, I believe. September or October. Um, yeah. So it's coming up. And so I thought it'd be a perfect time with the announcement that he's releasing a new album to kind of now go back and talk about his first album and kind of the thing that put Kid Cudi on the map. Sure. Um, now, this is the album you picked and you talked a little bit about how like it's one of the most important albums for you. What was like your initial exposure to Kid Cudi? How did you end up finding them? So I remember, again, this goes back to kind of the same foundation in which I kind of find all my music in when I first like got into music really heavily in like the 2007 2008 time um just kind of plinking around the internet and clicking around and for whatever reason I don't even remember how I stumbled upon it I had the day and night single like with the Kid Cudi like artwork with him in like the astronaut suit you know what I'm talking about yeah I do yeah and so I I remember from a very 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 er, like early on I had that single and I had Maker Say on my on my iPod before the uh the album actually came out with with one of, I, I was on the back of the bus with one of my friends and uh he was listening to Kid Cudi's album because it had just came out and I hadn't heard the whole thing yet, and I just I just knew him from his singles. I know I really, really loved Day and Night. I really, really loved Pursuit of Happiness. But I sat next to him, and we shared headphones, which was the most romantic time ever. Um, and he played uh, Soundtrack to My Life. And I remember after that moment, 
it had changed everything for me. And like at that point, Kid Cudi wasn't just making these cool or fun or sounding songs. Like I thought of Kid Cudi in a different way and I saw his music in a different way. And it was after that I kind of sat down and listened to Man on the Moon and it kind of changed me. I've dealt with a lot of the kind of things that he talks about and that we'll talk about throughout the album with like loneliness and struggling with mental health and things of that nature. So kind of having something to kind of listen to that supports you in that or having somebody or kind of being able to relate to somebody that's going through those same things was really important to me. I think especially during that time there was a lot of uh, there was there was a lot of music coming out of the time but not a lot I could relate to on such like a personal level to feel like I was in Kid Cudi's shoes and like he was in my shoes, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Um Kid Cudi's music, you sort of went through like the entire like personal arc that the Kid Cudi listener sort of goes through, the exposure, the immediate like latching on through like the lyricism from a personal song. Uh, That's a very sweet story. Um, If I had to go into my personal relationship with Kid Cudi, it's a bit more informal and casual. Uh, I had a radically different like musical experience that all my peers had. It wasn't like up on like the top charts or anything. Uh, I talked about this a little bit in the first episode with Queen, but I came into music late I didn't relate to my peers a lot I think my first exposure to Kid Cudi was he was like one of like uh, if you're in public school in like the 2008-2010 era you had like your little gym remixes that you listen to in gym class and I think day and night was one of the things you had to listen to when you were doing warm-ups so that was my real exposure to him I never sought his music out because I was more like into rock music at the time and I lived in a very anti-rap household um, but I vividly, I vividly remember the hype around him. Uh, my best friend at the time was a huge fan. It felt like basically everyone at our high school was a Kid Cudi fan, regardless of their background. He was that artist that everyone kind of liked. Yeah, and I think it's just because, again, just immediately he came off with this relatability, especially for young people, especially for people in their teenage years and in their young adult years that were kind of going through those things and kind of dealing with self-identity and kind of beginning to form their own identity it's kind of man on the moon is this album that just takes you on this very deep and honest and personal journey of a young man finding his own identity and what that means to him and so i think that's what a lot of people latch on to and i think that's what what relates to a lot of people yeah so i didn't really like get into kid cuddy until i just got into like hip-hop music in general i remember sort of getting into his stuff late my senior year of high school uh and i thought it was a really i think he's a really good like first artist of like hip-hop to get into because he's sort of a genre bender he is like gorillas in that sense where he incorporates hip-hop elements and it's a hip-hop bass but he's using he's adding so much into it like electronic and he's adding uh synth music and he's adding rock guitars and stuff and i think even if you don't really like hip-hop in general i think you can find a lot of people who intersect with it and they're you know Kid Cudi taste. Yeah, and I think that's that's obviously a very intentional choice for Kid Cudi. I mean, he's kind of gone on like record and saying that he just doesn't make rap music and he just doesn't want to be a rapper. You know, he kind of makes hip hop music, but he fuses it with all these other things. Uh, in one interview, he described it like cooking and with like seasoning. Like he takes these different genres, whether it be hip hop, rock, indie, alternative, and he just kind of adds these different seasonings and these different flavors to blend them together for one great meal or one good sounding album. All right. So let's actually talk a little bit about Kid Cudi himself. Um, It's important that before we get into the album proper that we sort of get ourselves acquainted with the hip hop world up to this point, uh, the music scene and 
Kid Cudi's like personal history, at least a little bit, the simple beats to get into it. Looking at the mid to late 2000s, um, right before the 2010s, so kind of looking at like what artists came out, we just had a kind of a conversation about it, about what pop artists there were, but there's Lady Gaga, Lana Del Rey, Justin Bieber, Katy Perry, Bruno Mars, like pop artists of that sense that kind of like you said are mainstayers that we kind of see still today. And then as we start moving to the 2000s and the early to mid 2000s, we start having a lot more rap anthems, a lot of rap songs that are starting to now not just get uh, radio play on different hip hop channels, but also on mainstream channels and starting to work their way up into like the Billboard 100 and the Billboard 200 with people like Kanye West, like his graduation album, other artists like T-Pain started coming out, Lil Wayne, T.I., all these different people that were collaborating with different pop singers or pop artists, T.I.'s most famous song is with Justin Timberlake. T-Pain's most famous song, or one of his most famous songs, is with Akon. So you kind of now start to see this crossover between like more like melody and radio-friendly music, kind of hip-hop jumping on that bandwagon and kind of shaping what music is today even. Yeah, hip-hop was definitely uh, a more mainstream thing. I remember around 2008 to 2010 is when you started like getting acquainted with a pop song with a rap verse in the middle of it. Yeah. Justin Bieber's baby had one. Um, it's it was just like an there was like the crossover appeal was there. Uh, hip hop was mainstream and it became sort of a hip pop. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming into that, um, go, so we're that's the scene that we're in right now. Where does Kid Cudi fit into that? What was Kid Cudi doing? You know, so Kid Cudi, I from really the beginning has been kind of coming out of left field and kind of like. Again, he doesn't really even describe himself as a rapper. He thinks of it. He's kind of a guy that thinks of melodies first, and you can tell he's very melody driven. Yeah. Um, and the way he kind of creates songs and that kind of thing. And he just kind of wanted to do something a little bit different. Again, he kind of wanted to not just do hip hop, he wanted to blend his influences of indie music and alternative music and rock music. Um, he's very influenced by Kurt Cobain. Along with that, his two big influences that he has always said from day one have been. Uh, an indie or alternative band, MGMT, and kind of sounding band, Ratatat. I don't know how you kind of even describe their music. I call it easy listen and rock. <laughs> uh, I did a lot of looking into his more hip hop influences, and Kid Cudi's main influence there, the thing that really got him into wanting to make music in the first place, was a tribe called Quest. Uh, tribe Called Quest is one of Kid Cudi's uh, biggest influences on him. Even early on, a tribe called Quest presented an alternative style that contrasted with their temporaries in their era. Um, his mixtape, A Kid Named Cuddy, the one that came out in 2008, is clearly an homage to the name of A Tribe Called Quest. Kid Cuddy attributes his entire career to the Ghetto Boys. Uh, he was deeply influenced by their song, My Mind Playing Tricks on Me, and he wanted to make his own song that built off those ideas. Uh, he wanted his own version of that, and that's how he got Day and Night. It's his riff on that, and his entire style, that introspective, personal... Uh, internal struggle rather than dealing with the external stuff that hip-hop usually deals with that all comes from the ghetto boys the lonely stoner mr solo dolo he's on the move can't seem to shake the shade within his dreams he sees the life he made made Day and Night actually came out on that mixtape, A Kid Named Cuddy, and around 2007, to show how 2007 it was, it was on his MySpace page. <laughs> That's what was kind of found by people and where it started to gain a little bit of traction. Yeah, he got the attention of Plain Pat, who became his uh, music manager, and 
Plain Pat introduced him to Emil, and together they sort of like had this like trio of people that would make what would ultimately become a kid named Cuddy. Mm -hmm. uh, going through this mixtape, which I was never really able to listen to because it isn't on streaming services, I've never had any easy access to it. What immediately struck me was the samples that it drew from, and it sort of goes into that Kid Cudi sort of influenced by a little bit of everything. Uh, and these samples are obviously the reason why he could never formally release any of these tracks, but it, it is an amazing showcase of talent. He samples The Funeral by Band of Horses in The Prayer, which was, this is still probably one of his most popular songs, even though you can't listen to it fucking anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover by Paul Simon is used in 50 Ways to Make a Record. And Heaven at Night samples the Taco Bell Cannon by Ratatat from their Classics album. Mm -hmm. um, so it's funny seeing that the band that he samples on his mixtape ultimately collaborates with him twice on A Man on the Moon. And yeah, what's kind of really cool about it is I would kind of list Kid Cudi, or I have listed Kid Cudi as kind of one of the first, or on that first wave of just music artists in general who've kind of made their career from the internet or started their career from the internet as opposed to what traditionally had gone on before then. Kid Cudi represents that wave of those first individuals that kind of had the access and technology to put themselves on. Again, he put his mixtape just all over the internet and on his MySpace page where it was found at. And kind of at this time, Justin Bieber was discovered through the internet. Drake made a big deal because of the internet. Yeah, it changes the entire cultural landscape when we factor in that the internet is this all-encompassing thing and we sort of got the hang of it with social media. It's it's an impressive tool. Uh, Plain Pat actually was very strongly associated with Kanye West. Mm -hmm. He passed along the uh, mixtape to him. And from there, he just immediately signed him to good music. He wanted him to work closely with him, and they would ultimately work together on uh, 808s and Heartbreak. Um, so yeah, once Kanye kind of heard Kid Cudi's sound and kind of heard what he was doing, he immediately, like you said, immediately put him on. He flew him out to the studio, and Kanye West right there at the night was like, all right, you're writing hooks for me. We need choruses for Blueprint 3 for Jay-Z's album, and we need choruses for my album, 808s and Heartbreaks. Get hot. <laughs> <laughs> And so, Kikari kind of talks about the immense pressure that he was already under, like, from day one, from the second, when he's just like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm just going to start writing uh, hooks. <laughs> uh, yeah, so A Kid Named Cuddy uh, only precedes uh, 808s and Heartbreak by about four months, so the turnaround for that is he releases the mixtape in July, he works with Kanye West, he co-writes four songs with Kanye West, albums released in November. That's the timeline for that. The most direct influence on Kid Cudi's work is Kanye West, who became a mentor to Kid Cudi. Um, they collaborated together on 808s and Heartbreak, which became one of the more influential albums of the atmosphere of what would become 2010's hip-hop. It's the DNA of what's in Drake uh, and so many hip-hop artists that just sort of made a more poppy, melodic style. And we have to credit Kid Cudi for that emergence. The story of Man on the Moon follows Kid Cudi, aka Scott Mess Cudi, on a journey throughout his dreams. Uh, he talks about his experiences with loneliness, depression, drug use, uh, his, his struggle with night terrors, and all through 15 unforgettable tracks. Uh, the story is actually narrated uh, by Chicago-born, highly acclaimed MC Common. A bold choice. <laughs> And Cuddy kind of takes a listener through this kind of Shakespearean-like five-act story, uh, beginning with Act 1, The End of Day, and ending with Act 5, A New Beginning. Um, so I think it's kind of worth noting up top that, um, specifically with Kid Cuddy, he has kind of a focus of when he's writing and kind of um, an idea. He kind of chooses to avoid dense lyrics, 
Uh, he kind of explained that he doesn't want to like write material um, that he wouldn't say in real life. He, he just he's just a regular fucking dude, man. And I think that's again that's what made Kid Cudi so relatable. He's just a regular fucking dude. Uh, he keeps it simple, but he creates and weaves something so complex in the production that it all still comes out as so amazing and true to himself. So, Kiefer, what did you think of Kid Cudi, Man on the Moon, end of day? Uh, Man on the Moon 1 is good. I like it. Solid. It's No, it's a great album. I've never listened... I, I've listened to this album before. I like Kid Cudi. Uh, one thing I discovered is that Man on the Moon, the title track, isn't actually part of Man on the Moon album proper. Uh, it is part of the Kid Named Cudi mixtape. And it is on a bonus track, and I was really excited to talk about the song, and I'm gonna anyway, because it's <laughs> it's, it's a great song, and I think it's instrumental to understanding Kid Cudi's musical style. Yeah, I'll just say, I think it's one of my favorite songs from the Kid Named Cudi mixtape. I listened to the song, I had it on my iPad, or I had it on my iPod uh, growing up in high school, so... It's just a really raw, emotional, introspective, uh, I love the No Saj Thing sample he uses... Uh, I love the lyrics about Cuddy feeling alienated. I love loneliness. I love sadness. Uh, this is the definitive Kid Cuddy song to me. And it's no surprise to me that he made all of the lyrics, the sound, the story, the title, the central thesis of his debut album. Even if it's not technically on the album itself. Like from the first lines in the intro, we hear Cuddy say he doesn't give a fuck about what other people think about him. And then he immediately walks it back by saying, I mean, I did, but like, fuck it. It's just, this is like a sample of like the alienation and insecurity he feels. And it permeates his entire early discography. Yeah, it's it's kind of almost like, uh, it's almost like a prelude to the actual album. It's kind of like Chance the Rapper's part on Ultralight Beam kind of leading into Chance 3 or Coloring Book. No, oh, yeah, no, it's that's a really good point. It's just a really good like next time on me it's it's like when they had black panther in uh captain america civil war and then it's like get ready he has his own movie uh like a kid named cutty spider-man and then uh man on the moon spider-man 2 it's just a better realized version of an early project yeah kid cutty became an inspiration because he worked through his own personal demons and created something unique and that spoke to people and that's man on the moon in general um a lot of the DNA on Man on the Moon is in the original mixtape, pop culture references, his style of sing rapping, he puts such an emphasis on melodies, and even when he sings off-key, his voice is just so smoothing and charming. Because we're just taking it chill, baby, and we're just taking it chill with the chill Captain Kid Cudi. Alright. Yeah. So Act 1 is broken up into three different songs, uh, In My Dreams, Soundtrack to My Life, and Simple As. Uh, in My Dreams is literally, like, the beginning, think of it, because it Again, this album is a conceptual album. This is almost like a movie. It has an act structure. And so for Cuddy, this is like his opening scene. This is him literally going to sleep and kind of entering the dream realm in my dreams. It's very not subtle about what he's doing. Like, it's again, there's not a lot of like dense metaphors or anything you have to kind of peel back the layers to. It's kind of very much this is what it is. It's very simple. He's going to sleep. A dream come true finding the perfect words to sing to you here in my dreams everything plays
he literally just tells you like immediately what is going to go on. He's a very, very literal lyricist. Like the first lines of the album is "What up?" <laughs> he's, saying, <laughs> he's saying, "He's saying, hey, uh, want to listen to my album?" What's up, bro? The first two episodes, of the albums that we did, one was basically a, a band going for broke, and another one was like this mixtape showcase. Uh, this is our first actual concept narrative album going on here, so it's a lot more dense. And that's why we're being fast and loose about it. Being fast and loose, baby. We're on the we're on the we're on the fast and loose ferry. My 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 pants are down. Um. So, yeah, we have a wonderful intro. It's very mood setting. He tells you what's going on, and then Common comes in. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Common's narration is at the end of In My Dreams, and it's kind of almost this like call to action. You know, kind of the things that he's talking about is being a leader and kind of what that means. Standing up against the system, um, kind of through all of the things that are going on in the world, kind of being a voice that speaks through all that negativity and kind of believes in themselves and is able to kind of represent themselves and stand above the rest as a leader. And I think that's kind of a great message for kind of some of the themes and struggles that Kid Cudi kind of goes through. Does He does some good set dressing here. Uh, and then he goes in a soundtrack to my life, which is... Whew, what a song. What a it's, song. It's a spicy song. That's the song that got me deeper into Kid Cudi as an artist and made me care about him and what he was doing. Right out of the gate, Kid Cudi's like opening himself up. He allows himself to be vulnerable. He introduces himself to you as a character. He's like, Scotty. He's talking about his family, the death of his dad, the way he was raised by a struggling single like elementary school mother, but mainly he's talking about his internal strife. The chorus of the song spells it out. I've got some issues that nobody can see. He he's 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 putting it all on the table. We're basically his unwitting uh, therapist just listening to him rant and ramble and I love this track a lot. The producer, the producer for In My Dreams and Soundtrack to My Life were both Emil, who we kind of talked about previously. Um, and kind of producing this track, he said that he actually did it in one night because Kid Cudi was so determined to get this song done once he had kind of heard the instrumental of it. Um, and kind of like you said, it just deals right off the bat with some of the more heavier topics. And if anything, it's kind of the thesis statement or the introductory like paragraph to the entire album. If In My Dreams acts as like the abstract to this paper and kind of what this paper is like, how did we get to this point or just doing a little background work, then Soundtrack to My Life is kind of that introductory paragraph. Um, like you said, it, it immediately addresses depression, uh, his struggles with his father's death and growing up. One of uh, kind of the most biting lines for me off the album is when he says, uh, I try to think of myself as a sacrifice just to show the kids they ain't the only ones who up at night. Yeah. I, again, I think that kind of goes back to the core tenets of what Kid Cudi's about and kind of making you not feel like you're alone or kind of being that support or someone to kind of listen to when you're kind of going through those same struggles. Sure. I mean, he's essentially, in addition to like telling a story, he's showing solidarity with the other people who feel alienated and isolated. Man on the Moon is a song about a man who feels so cut off from the world, he literally feels like he's living on another like plane of existence. He's like observing the world like... <laughs> Dr. Manhattan on Mars looking at Earth. Yeah, and I, I one of the lines that really, really, really gets me, because you can hear his voice crack when he says it, is, my heart's an open sore that I hope he'll soon. Mm. Kind of, it, again, from the second track, it sets up that I still have a, like, I'm just opening up my chest to you, and I'm letting you know, there's a lot of issues here. There's a lot of stuff we're going to have to work through here. And so kind of 
ending one of the verses with the line, I'm happy, that's just the saddest lie, is just like, oh my God, man. It like Again, these are the kind of lines that has have stuck with me for almost 10 years now. Alcohol in the womb, my heart's an open sword that I hope heals soon. I live in the cocoon, opposite of Cancun, where it is never sunny. The dark side. Then we go into the idea that he's a te- like you know teaching lessons. He's opening himself up so people like you know immediately latch onto him and helping people learn and cope from his lessons. And that leads us into simple as where the immediate like opening lines are A B C A B C one two three one two three. He's teaching. This is a t- <laughs> he's he's we're he's like hey, you, here hey man shit's about to get real wild here like we're about to go on a crazy ride so it's like let's have like one last like fun moment again it's kind of like think about a movie and kind of the structure of a movie and kind of how it works you know you don't just start off with the most heavy shit you get introduced to the character you learn a little bit about them you kind of have a couple fun moments with the character and then we start getting into those like the main conflict of what the character's going through so this is again this is kind of him building up to that main conflict i do want to like you know sort of draw attention to like a line i like in verse two of this song where he's like i gotta terminate the hate and spread the positive without it being whack and cheesy to the little kids yeah. it's him basically like sticking to the yeah i'm talking about being sad and how you guys shouldn't be sad uh, but I'm not gonna like sacrifice my personal integrity and like you know just say like oh feel better about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna be real with you. Yeah, I I think that's what kind of sets Kid Cudi apart um, from a lot of other of his contemporaries that that kind of deal with the same issues but aren't as relatable to. Um, the first one to come to my mind is Logic. Um, I feel like while Logic is kind of like. Here's a suicide hotline number. Don't be sad. I was sad too. I made a lot of money off this track. Yeah, Kid Cudi's Kid Cudi's more like, "Hey man, this is the like the shit that I'm going through, you know. It's just it's just my life. I'm just telling you my life." Uh, so yeah, we have another narration by Common at the end of the track where he's just talking about the rise of the night terrors, which is incidentally the what's Act Two is called. Some of the things that Common's talking about is throwing Scott into the most eerie and unstable part of his imagination, so intense he cannot tell his dreams from reality. You know, so again, we're kind of getting into those night terrors, and if you kind of look at Man on the Moon again as this big dream, the intro track he falls asleep. And then he kind of, quote unquote, wakes up in the dream kind of as like a lucid dreaming thing. Think of like Inception kind of thing. Um, and he's kind of walking around, which is soundtrack to my life and simple as. And then out of his control within this dream, he starts to form this nightmare, almost like this bad trip. Uh, the first track uh, after saying this is the rise of the night terrors is a track called Solo Dolo Nightmare. So... We are in a nightmare, guys, narratively speaking. Three out of the first four songs on the album were produced by Emil, which all kind of had this very similar, eerie, spacious sound to them. Um, what I like about Solo Dolo a lot is the sample on the song. Emil and Cuddy were just in the studio and they were just listening to music just kind of in the background. One of the uh, songs they were listening to, or one of the albums they were listening to was the Manahan Street Band. Uh, which is more of this instrumental kind of music. And so they have this song called The Traitor. And again, they weren't like looking for samples. They were just playing music in the background for fun. And apparently, as soon as The Traitor came on, like Kid Cudi and Emil locked eyes and were like, this is it. We have to fucking sample this song. 
and it's the most haunting track on the album by mm-hmm. a country mile i've always loved this song even before i knew the entire uh you know conceit of the man on the moon yeah, narrative album it's just both. it's just a good creepy little eerie song yeah. uh I would argue, uh, as a musical expert, that this album is a Halloween album. If you want to fight me on it, do it. But I'm here to say, it's a spooky album. I love it. Yeah, and again, this is the first nightmare. We're getting into the darkest side of Kid Cudi's dreams, and therefore the darkest kind of side of his subconscious and his mental state and kind of what's going on there. Kid Cudi has kind of said that this track is about his uh, experience feeling alone and just kind of making all the wrong decisions and just being wrapped up in feeling worthless. And it was kind of a chapter in his life that he needed to put on the album. Soaring through paradise when I'm closing my eyes. I'm Mr. Solo Dolo. Um... Something that I kind of want to talk to you about is uh, Kid Cudi's writing uh, experience and kind of how he wrote songs for Man on the Moon, which I find to be maybe the saddest part about this entire album creation. Um, So what happened was he moved from Cleveland to New York. What would happen was he had just enough kind of money to make ends meet, essentially. And so he'd go back to his apartment and he said the only light bulb he had in his apartment was broken. So that when it got dark outside, it just got dark in his apartment and his little tiny apartment all to himself. And he slept on the floor and he just ate ramen noodles and like smoked cigarettes. So he kind of said that when it got dark outside, it was dark in my apartment. And that was kind of it. He'd lay on the floor and smoke and just kind of like doze off into like the night or the darkness that's in his own fucking room. He said the only light that he would get is from the fucking sunlight. Nobody but what I might feel All the sounds of sanity Hoping what I hear loops itself continuously Then I won't be afraid no, no. Lyrically, he keeps it very simple, but he does really capture that feeling of isolation and loneliness. The way I would best describe this song is like, you're just laying down and listening and there's that voice in your head that's like talking to you and stressing you out and making you feel like everyone hates you and you don't need nobody but yourself mm-hmm. another thing i want to say about this track is he makes ahoy sound like it has three syllables <laughs> um ahoy the following track after solo dolo is heart of a lion mm-hmm. um which flows really well going from solo dolo to that um, here he's talking about he's still on like that sense of like I don't need anyone uh, I don't have anyone and I've made it here this far myself and he's continuing that I think it's really cool like because Kid Cudi said this is like I want this to be the new eye of the tiger like this is supposed to be so triumphant and the hook of the song is literally Kid Cudi yelling no 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 at himself as a call and respond and then him replying like yes like I can like I, I can persevere through all of this he's literally fighting his inner demons throughout the song it's really cool as you mentioned the bridge that the no 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 yeah no yeah he said in an interview like the song's called heart of a lion uh he said like yeah it's supposed to be the 21st century version of eye of the tiger and those fast repetitive no's and yeah's are supposed to have the same effect as the guitar 
from Eye of the Tiger. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I've always noticed, like, that part of the song always sounds like he's, like, making it sound like a guitar, like the voice in uh, Runaway by Kanye West. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just thought that was a really cool, like, detail. Uh, some of the lines in the in the song itself kind of allude to how he's kind of coping with these things and kind of dealing with these struggles. Um, one is, but the weed is guaranteed, indeed, just what I need. Um, kind of showing he's using drugs to kind of cope with these things. Yeah, he's painting in this like second act like a very good like internal struggle. Solo Dolo being like the villain of the piece. Like Solo Dolo is like the evil Grinch theme song introducing the villain. Um, and Heart of a Lion is like him immediately like waking up and being like, no, I'm gonna fight that. Obviously, he has like his own like personal demons that he's fighting and like his own like kryptonite being like weed and his addiction to things. So you have like that whole portrait painted in these like first couple songs of Act Two. After that, we're kind of getting to the end of Act 2, which wraps up with the song My World. My World is produced by Plain Pat, who you've already introduced as Kid Cudi's manager, and then by Jeff Basker as well. Uh, Jeff Basker is all over Kanye West projects dating back from graduation, 808s and Heartbreaks, um, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and he also had a, a hand in production and kind of instrumentation on Harry Styles' solo album. I, I mean me up on the moon, entertain myself, laughed at myself as I grew to be a teen, I disguised myself at the lowest self esteem, especially with the girls. Try to be sport just to impress all the girls. I like My World a lot. Uh, I like the creepy, I really like the creepy songs on this uh, album a lot. Solo Dolo is really good. Uh, My World is not a nightmare track. It's actually him just sort of like going through like that phase of like uh, his life as a little kid, like little homie in the room, uh, boy on the moon, like talking about his like weaker, younger self that was like struggling through these problems. Kid Cudi's father died of cancer and he's talking about that in this song. Uh, so he, when he says took a turn to the worst when my father left me lonely in my room, he means like he lost someone that he loved so much and now it like just sort of scarred him and even at home he doesn't feel like he has anyone around him. He grew to be a teen. I disguised myself, had the lowest self-esteem, especially with the girls. Who can relate? Woo! <laughs> um, that's that's the line that instantly always gets me. Uh, my, I would say out of any of the songs on uh, Man on the Moon, my world is always the hardest to listen to because it's almost like a man is so succinctly telling you about yourself and painting this pic almost almost holding up this mirror of yourself uh through song which i've never had that experience before listening to my world and i feel that feeling every time i listen to my world cuddy describes the song as kind of his experience from moving from cleveland to brooklyn and his determination to make it and become successful in the music industry the chorus itself is kind of just this big like i told you so i told you i was gonna make it like i believed in myself and look where i'm at now but that's not without its own like struggles like yeah i mean like it's a version of like oh you have this empowering chorus that like you know you can broadly relate to and he's going into specificities of it it's really good like you talking about like how his like youth experiences parallel with like his struggles to become a performing artist and make trying to make it in brooklyn mm-hmm. um he's saying like um he's like recounting stuff like i was too artsy known to be a clown he's a guy who's always been more enamored with like doing art projects and like that was always you know what his mom like promoted him doing 
um, and he never really like embodied the masculine roles, which entering the hip hop industry, which has always like struggled with like the idea of masculinity, uh, fighting, violence, um, misogyny. It's just an interesting, you know, contrast to see like, yeah, I struggled with all that. I didn't feel welcome at school doing it. And I definitely feel weird, like adjusting to that in a whole industry that's has a whole different image around it. But this will be my world. Yeah. And I think kind of even before Kid Cudi, there's not a lot of just artists in general, especially hip hop artists that talk about having low self-esteem, talking about not hitting it off with the girls, you know, talking about being lonely in the room and entertaining themselves and laughing at themselves. Again, this is like one of the most relatable songs to me, like growing up as a high schooler, kind of doing the same things and being up in the room till God knows what time at night and just kind of entertaining themselves and kind of being their own best friend sometimes. So it's, I think that's what's really powerful of it. Uh, not just kind of his messaging and his wording, but the fact that there's very few people uh, vulnerable enough to open themselves up like this. Cuddy was the kind of person that sort of influenced that sort of change. He's talking about the introspective stuff. He's talking about his insecurities. But at the same time, uh, when you go to the bridge, he's like saying, I was heavy, heavy, heavy on my grizzle. And none of y'all had a clue about me. And now guess what? I'm all you see. Mm-hmm. So he's saying like, he bullied me. Uh, I only got stronger because of it. And I didn't have to change who I was to do that. And now you guys are the losers. Yeah. He gets to claim victory over that. Yeah. And I think that's life affirming to a lot of people who've other themselves and don't feel like they belong into one traditional group. It's a it's a it's an album that kicks your ass and like it's a what there's a lot of one step forward, two step back throughout this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that concludes the second act. Um, weirdly enough, there's nothing that like leads you into the third act. There's no common like in interlude or anything like that. It just jumps right into the whole centerpiece of what this album is built around. Uh, so going into Act Three, let's talk about Day and Night. The lonely stoner seems to free his mind at night He's all alone through the day and night The lonely loner seems to free his mind at night At, at, at night Day and night The lonely stoner seems to free his mind at night This is the second nightmare on the album that begins Act 3 Um... It was produced by Dot the Genius, who we know today for helping produce Panini by uh, Little Nas X. Uh, he also has a couple of production credits on Kids See Ghosts as well. So he's kind of been with Kid Cudi from the beginning of his musical career up until now. The song itself kind of addresses his uncle and his uh, untimely passing in 2006. Kid Cudi and his uncle already kind of had some beef beforehand. Cudi said that his uncle kind of kicked him out of the house when he didn't have any other situation set up. Um, and that he was bitter because of it. And uh, his uncle unfortunately died before he had the chance to apologize to him. So day and night is kind of Kid Cudi dealing with that kind of guilt. It's a heavy track. Uh, It's the track that made him famous, and when he had to put it in the context of the actual album itself, it had to become the nightmare track. And that is... There's something like deeply tragic about the song that propels you to fame and gets the hype built around you being incorporated into a narrative about actually being like your nightmare. It sums up his whole thing about being this sad character who talks about their personal experiences and how they've 
dealt with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, we kind of already talked about how in previous songs leading up to this, Kid Cudi is overcoming some of his demons or overcoming some of these struggles through drug use, you know, and through kind of smoking weed or whatever have you. So kind of having a song that's kind of the perils of doing that and being like, man, like I toss and turn, I keep stress in my mind, I'm looking for peace, I don't attain it, you know, and it's just like, again, like you said, he's not glorifying it, it's not something that's like, I'm doing drugs because they're cool and I want you to do drugs, it's just, again, it's it's not Kid Cudi telling you what you should do or what you should think or how you should act, it's just him painting a portrait of himself and kind of what his experiences are. Yeah, like, he's the lonely stoner freeing his mind at night because he has nothing else in this world but, like, this thing that he's fueling yeah um i think what's really cool too is uh genius does their deconstructed episodes which kind of break down the production of different famous songs and one of the songs they did was day and night with dot the genius and kind of that slow-mo um part at the end of the song which has always been my favorite part um he says that they were like finishing up the track and they already had it produced and they put it together and he accidentally hit a key on his keyboard um, that made the track go in half time so it took the BPM and it cut it in half which is why you have that very slow version of the same beat and um, they're just like this is so fucking wicked it's so cool let's do something with this let's somehow incorporate this into the song which is why it's kind of that outro part at the end and it's one of my favorite parts of the album and I think it's really funny that it's just kind of a mistake what do you like about Act 3? What kind of stands out to you aside from Day and Night? Um, I like the day, like the whole like mood of the album like really changes when you go into Intergalactic, which is more of a poppy dance club song. Yeah. Um, it's very spacey. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to be surprised with a whole album that's basically psychedelic hip hop. So Intergalactic, um, I used to just be like so-so about it growing up, but as I've gotten older, I gain more of appreciation for kind of the song and what's going on. Interestingly enough, I think kind of the sonics of why it sounds different is Kid Cudi just kind of got this beat from a producer. He says he doesn't usually like work like that. He's very much of, come in the studio with me, let's craft like a song together, let's kind of come up with it. But this one, he just kind of was skimming through uh, beats from a producer and he heard one and he's just like, I love this so much, I want this, and he kind of immediately got a hook for it and immediately kind of just rolled with it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I like the song, but I think Kid Cudi's strengths come from a collaborative place. When mm-hmm. he's involved with really talented people, it feels like his like uh, sensibilities that like hold him back are like reined in by other people. And then he also is able to like bring out like more creative energy from other people. Some of his like my, some of my favorite like things for, with Kid Cudi are like the collaborations he does with other artists. Uh, as we'll talk about later in the album. So it's just so interesting that this particular song is like the least involved he was in the actual making of the track. And it completely makes sense now that you say that, why it sounds so different. I think it's just really interesting too, because even though Intergalactic read it at face value, it's just like a love song, you know, it's just about him wanting to kind of connect with a lover, you know, and just kind of hang out and just take it easy. Just yeah, it chill. he's taking it so chill. Um, it so chill. This is it's a, it's more of like an enabling song because it's him inviting a girl to like you know take the same like drugs that he's on, mm-hmm. uh, sort of just like 
Come meet me on my plane, lady. You hit exactly what I was going to say, like, on the head, you know? Like, like the line that he kind of says is, I once used to dream of peace until I found you. I was trying to find peace within myself and kind of all this stuff, and then I found someone I can just do drugs with and kind of push that all off on and not think about it anymore, you know? And like you said, it's kind of this um, relationship where he's pushing drugs on this other individual, and it's kind of like, I don't have to deal with my problems because you're here, and this is just another way, this is another coping mechanism of how I'm going to deal with my issues. Oh yeah, people are the perfect distraction, and it's when you're a person that's lonely and you have someone that's like willing to give you the attention, uh, you can definitely project a lot of stuff onto them so kind of that leads us into act four um act four is comprised of the songs alive cutty zone make her say and pursuit of happiness out act four <clears throat> act four is entitled stuck um yeah and so like kind of transitioning from act three to act four uh common comes in again to kind of add some narration um, saying soon after falling into a deeper psychedelic state to escape the prison of our reality, um, our hero becomes trapped in his own peaceful place, which immediately becomes his sanctuary, a place filled with his wildest dreams. This is his new home. So that's tying into what we're talking about. Again, he's become complicit in his own weaknesses, and he's found something where he doesn't have to challenge himself or change and make himself any better. And it's exactly those troubles that lead us into another nightmare track, which is Alive, which is produced by Ratatat. Ratatat, baby. Uh, the band that he sampled on his uh, debut project are now openly collaborating with him in a creative space. I love Alive. I lo- Again, I love Ratatat. So having like 2009, 2008 era Ratatat just ham it up on a track specifically for Kid Cudi and having those fucking guitars like those weird they have such a way with making like reverby like guitars that sound like it's like an empty thing in an entire giant stadium room oh my fucking god I love it I've never been able to nail like what feels so good about the guitar but like it it's like it definitely fits in within Kid Cudi's sensibilities because it feels like they never like let a note fully play they just like sort of like live and like a space with no outlines and it's no wonder they would like that they fit into the primordial soup of like Kid Cudi's sound. I like the song a lot. Uh, I do want to like draw attention to a specific lyric here. Uh, the chorus. Every time the moon shines, I become alive. Uh, he is a werewolf. <laughs> Halloween album. Fun fact. Halloween album. Kid Cudi talks about turning into a beast. Cudi kind of talks about this track saying he's turning into a beast when he goes out at night. Uh, this is kind of um, a metaphor for like people that kind of get drunk and kind of look for girls and are kind of just on the prowl in kind of that gross predatorial way. It's like this contrast with, it's almost like a different perspective of what's going on in Intergalactic. It's like, even though it's a nightmare version of that, it almost feels like a more realistic version of what's going on. He's essentially being a predator on a level. In a more metaphorical sense, you know, it's kind of describing the darker parts of himself and kind of, again, this album is just him holding a mirror up to himself and be like, this is me for better or worse, you know, and kind of becoming the beast at night when all the lights go off, you know, and kind of is this metaphor for his kind of dangerous and more self-destructive tendencies and kind of how those may affect other people in his life. Sure. Uh, Intergalactic's Dr. Jekyll and his Mr. Hyde is alive. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. 
let's talk about Cuddy Zone for a second. I, I really like the verse on it a lot. It's like this really long extended verse that he does, and he had the verse for a while, and he finally had a beat to incorporate it too, and it happened to work out that way. Make or Say was wholly produced by Kanye West. It extensively samples the acoustic version of of Lady Gaga's Poker Face, and it was made in Hawaii. Yeah, so as I understand it, the story goes that uh, Kanye and Cudi were both in Hawaii at the time, and they were hanging out, and when they were getting lunch together, uh, Poker Face was playing on the speaker, and they sort of looked at each other and be like, this would be a really cool song to sample. Kanye responded... Yeah, I mean, like, have you ever heard the acoustic version of the song, though? The acoustic version sounds really cool. Uh, and then the next day when they're in the studio, he plays him the, like, acoustic version, and he says, no, yeah, that that does sound really cool. And he's like, I'm going to make a beat from it real quick. And he's they just both sort of, like, freestyled on it. And then Kanye's like, you're going to put this on the album, right? And he's like, uh. <laughs> he didn't initially see it as something that was going to go on the album. You know, he kind of talks about how he was standoffish in the song. He's kind of using a lot of vulgar content. And, um... At the end of the day, he thought it kind of fit so... He, at the end of the day, though, he thought it fit well into the story of the album. Um, kind of to show the more fantasy side of the album. Again, we're kind of in this weird psychedelic drug state, man, because we're just taking it easy. And this is kind of just one of those other sides of it. And I think it's fun. So this is as good as a place to say, I don't know shit about Common. <laughs> You could say that at the beginning when we were talking about Common. This is your place. This is your time. So, like, Common, like, steps away from being a narrator for a second. He's like, I'm going to have a little fun with the crew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, like, I don't know if Common has fun or not because he raps like he's, like, having a straight face the entire time. <laughs> um, it's like when Quentin Tarantino shows up in his own movies. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's just like, are you supposed to be here? Alcohol. She had her head, did it, was bound to fall. Down, down for a damn cut, he already said it. A poker Facebook, I already read it. But man, her head was good than a. It's just weird to me because, like, I understand that he's like a legendary rapper, but like if you just like walk into like the Kid Cudi song and he's like, I'd poke her Facebook, I already read it, and I'm like, alright, I'm gonna walk away from here for a second. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't like to use the word cringe, but it gave, it gave me a little like, oh god, this is 2009. Man, she has an electro body that's known to blow fuses, baby. What's god, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this track, I do agree with Cuddy a little bit that it does feel like a deviation from the rest of the album. Um, I guess I could see the fantasy version of it, but that explanation has always sounded like a reach to it. And I don't want to sound like I'm attacking this song. I think it's a fun song. It's just... Like if like if you had to like say like this is part of a narrative, it's like uh, it feels like the main character just like stepped into the bathroom and like stepped away from like the story to like take a piss, and he's like overhearing a conversation <laughs> that doesn't really lead anywhere, and then he like walks back and in pursuit of happiness starts. Playing. Yeah, this is kind of the moment like in the newer It movie when Pennywise is just kind of like doing the weird arm and kick thing like right in the middle of the scary scene. It's just like, this doesn't belong here. Uh, it did secure them a Grammy nomination for best uh, rap uh, performance by a group. How could it not with the lines and give me scoliosis until like comatosis? They're like rapping. Okay. <laughs> Three verses on this thing. None of them are about the same thing. They're all like different versions of like wanting to fuck a girl, but like, it's like, Kanye's out of college. He's fucking sorority girls. Common's like talking about conscious dick, uh, <laughs> and then like Cuddy's like trying to low key get in a threesome, try to fuck with this other girl with a fat ass. Just it's it's a dirty rap song in a middle of a psychedelic groove. 
So it feels like you like got sober at the completely wrong time. <laughs> That's a 2009 dirty rap song with Kanye West and Kid Cudi set to a Lady Gaga beat that makes references to T.I.'s Whatever You Like and Asher Ross I Love College and Blame It on the Alcohol is referenced by Jamie Foxx. It is almost comically like a 2009 song. It's like it's like finding a studded belt in your closet. It's like this only way this could sound more 2009 is if Barack Obama did a verse on it. <laughs> I love the song. I love like you know like obviously we've talked about like more of the uh, kind of serious moments of Kid Cudi, but you know I think after all of that, it's nice to just have a little fun. Let's talk about Pursuit of Happiness. Oh man, uh, this is the last Nightmare song on the album. Pursuit of Happiness was actually the reason I was most excited to talk about this album with you because okay. I think this is, and I don't say this lightly, I think this is the best example of what collaboration can be in any type of song. Uh, it's three artists all masterfully lending their sensibilities to a song to create something transcendent. It is a masterpiece, and I think in the last like ten years, it is one of the most important songs. Like not just not one of the most important raps, one of the most important songs. I have only heard stories and like other accounts of people describing the spiritual and life-changing journey that is watching Kid Cudi perform this song live. I couldn't imagine. Like, you have to leave a different person after listening to him perform that live, like your eye color changes, like <laughs> your DNA like reassembles itself. Like you come back a new person. Mountains are moved, marriages fixed, lives saved. <laughs> it's a song that captures a weird specific feeling for me. If I had to describe it, it's like the feeling of partying by yourself. It's like having a celebratory Ugh. breakdown. Uh, it's a man chasing a dragon while struggling to stand up. One of the members from uh, Ratatat, Evax, kind of talks about this song and how, you know, like, he would just make songs for himself and, like, his partner. So he never really produced for, like, anybody before, let alone, like, a rapper. So he said that he got a call that Kid Cudi was kind of on the way to meet him and they were going to make a song together. He was like, fuck, we're making a song today? And, like, he kind of just was like, shit. He, like, he literally got the call that Kid Cudi was on the way. Like, and as he's in the car, like, as Kid Cudi is driving to his, like, studio, he's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And he's just getting at, like, pianos and guitars. And he just puts together, like, the basis of this song. <laughs> Hands on the wheels, try and play again, I'll try to do my thing. <laughs> Kid Cudi came in and he immediately connected with it and immediately loved it. Um, I think like sonically when you listen to this album, the first thing you think of is that like that beginning like opening tone, that whining like keyboard sound. Evax from Ratatat actually talks about it. It's actually in, it's on an electronic keyboard. He said it's the worst keyboard he's ever bought in his entire life. He fucking hates the keyboard. He has never used it for any good thing ever. <laughs> Except this one time, he happened to find this organ tone sound on it um, through, on the electric keyboard, and he ran it through a couple different like filters to make it sound like as weird as it does. And again, it's a nightmare. Like Kid Cudi said, it's it's supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be crazy. You know, it's kind of it kind of deals with what we've been talking about of a person choosing to look for happiness in substances and in 
uh, different things. Again, like the first lines of the fucking song, crush a bit, little bit, roll it up, take a hit, feel them lit, feel them right, 2 a.m. summer night. I don't care. Hands on the wheel. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, so th- this song captures such a specific feeling for me. Like, it's a song that defines and sort of resonates with our entire generation as a whole. We're seeking temporary relief from a horrifying existence. We all, the we are the most open generation, the first generation that's really willing to openly, like, acknowledge that we have mental health issues, suicidal ideations, depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety. When artists do make it big, or at least make it as big as Cuddy, and make music about these subjects, it's going to deeply resonate because we feel it on a level. We may not have the same coping mechanisms, but we feel the we feel the emotion that's coming from it, and we feel in a moment listening to the song, united in our isolation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's so fucking dark, and if anything, it almost acts as like kind of this parody of like the party anthem you know it's kind of this party anthem with this deeper more dark meaning it's super 100% like the anti-party anthem like the song opening up with him like sounding like animal from the fucking Muppet saying (laughs) ratatat yeah and like lines like tell me what you know about them night terrors every night 5am cold sweats waking up to the sky it's just like these aren't happy things he's dealing with he's not talking about being in the club and like getting with ladies or kind of being the man you know if anything he's like in this scenario being like sad and like in a lot of pain the whole second verse of this song is just so deeply tragic i can't understand like why someone would like make something so happy about it uh tell me what you know about the night terrors nothing you don't really care about the trials of tomorrow rather lay awake in the bed full of sorrow that is really drives home the whole point of like Kid Cudi's ethos. It's a cutting line. I think it's one I relate to the most on basically any song, and I think it's why I consider it one of my all-time favorite songs. Yeah. He is suffering in the background, and he's trying to hide it in the haze. That's why he's on like a pursuit of happiness. He's trapped in an inescapable cycle of addiction where the only thing that brings him pleasure is the thing that brings him the most pain. And I, I, I would argue that kind of as we're looking at this album again, kind of as a narrative structure, this kind of is the climax of the album or like the last major arc of the album. Yeah, it's literally that's yeah, last nightmare track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like this is my last demon that I have to face. This is uh, the final boss, if you will, um, kind of of this album and kind of dealing, like you said, with that last nightmare and kind of overcoming this last struggle. Rather lay awake in the bed full of sorrow I'm on the pursuit of happiness and I know Everything is shining on Act 5, we're in the last two tracks of the album uh, Higher, I don't really care for it It features Chip the Ripper, formerly known as uh, King Chip, formerly known as Chip the Ripper So, I think what's funny is that Chip the Ripper, uh, he sent this song to Kid Cudi Because they were friends, and they were like, hey, check out the song He's like, I have this verse, and I have this hook uh, So do you want to, do you want to, like, you know, the song, do you want to do a verse? And he's like, yeah And then he does the verse, and Kid Cudi's like, cool, I want the song And he's like, what? He's like, please let me have it and he did, and that's why it's on the album. So that may be why it sounds a little different, or kind of maybe why it doesn't fit in sonically or thematically, because it, it literally is a Chip the Ripper song that Kid Cudi said, I would like that now, please. Yoink. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, poor King Chip. Yeah, but it, it's just like 
Kid Cudi describes it as this kind of chill and blissful moment of after he's been through hell, it's almost watching the sunrise. After his final nightmare, um, he gets to finally take a second to relax and kind of start to warm up to this place of peace. As a, as a line that's uh, very succinct on that, that kind of says, Back in high school, smoked weed when I cut class, and now I'm, at, and now I'm an addict. Tragic. And it's just kind of like... This thing that I'm doing, that smoking weed was just a thing that I was doing for fun or just recreationally, and it's become now this thing that I'm addicted to these highs and chasing these highs and kind of this moment of peace, you know, it kind of, it's almost not bittersweet, it's not the right word, um, it's just kind of like, it's it's like fake peace, you know, it's fake happiness, like he's saying he's at peace and he's saying it's happy, but it's only because of, uh, him being intoxicated or him being under the influence of drugs. They go talking about weed again, but because of all that weed in him, yes and no, causing the effects what most don't know. Doing bad, I like Mike said, could be doing wrong. Forget about the obvious context the song, put your brain where it belong, can't we just all get a bone? Now, the whole album ends on the song Up, Up, and Away. Uh, Up, Up, and Away also is a little different, but I think it is actually a really, like, fun cute little ending to the narrative of man on the moon as an album yeah. um it's almost like a it's like it's almost like a pop song uh it's like the best way i can describe it is like it's a song that plays at the end of the movie like coming of age movie where you're like all seeing like the uh, clips of like matthew broderick went on to become a doctor or whatever and uh molly ringwald went to jail for triple murder <laughs> yeah uh kikuti even calls this this is his credit roller of the album this is the last scene this is kind of that last little bit of like you said this is where we're at now this is where things have kind of gone yeah like uh literally the chorus is just like i'll be up up in a way because they're gonna judge me anyway so whatever so he it's almost like a recognition of look they're gonna say whatever they want to say about me um i'm high uh i'm also on the up and up in terms of fame I have issues, but fuck it, whatever. He hasn't fully self-actualized in the arc of his character, but he is definitely in a better place, and he's come to accept aspects of about himself that he definitely didn't uh, you know, appreciate about himself and in my dreams. So, progress. He kind of talks about, um, happy to see how far I've come to the same place it began, my dreams and imagination perfectly at peace. You know. So again, like you said, there's a little bit of change, there's a little bit of growth, there's so much... Cuddy has kind of confronted and kind of talked about with himself on this album and so kind of having this moment to be like I'm proud of myself I'm proud of what I did here today you know I think it's I think we needed that to close out the album because I think if we had something darker or something heavier I don't think it would have the same powerful effect yeah like Pursuit of Happiness is an absolute like stadium blowout song but this is definitely like the opposite of In My Dreams like it's such a good counterpoints in that that I think it is a very lovely beautiful album closer we talked a bit earlier about the use of repetition to like almost like serve as like an instrumental tool with the yeah no yeah no part of um heart of a lion here the bridge is wake up like repeat it a hundred times um and there it's basically him contrasting in my dream about being asleep now he's waking up there's no confusion in what's going on he's now taken this whole kind of introspective like journey throughout himself while he was sleeping or kind of doing this lucid dreaming and now he's waking up Mm -hmm. which kind of sends us to the 
Avengers post credit scene that is the last kind of common narration. Oh my god. Okay, so this is the common narration I just am not here for at all. So, <laughs> the song ends and, like, that's different from how the other uh, narrations sort of work on the album because, like, they just sort of, like, play out and end with the rest of the song. This one, like, the song ends and then a new beat comes in that sounds like a like uh, the stinger for another episode of like a fighting anime and then common comes in he's like the end is never the end a new challenge awaits like it's fucking pokemon or something think of it in this way if you go on with that he says a test no man could be prepared for a new a new hell he must conquer and destroy a new level of growth he must confront with himself the machine and the ghost within this is the journey of the man on the moon this again this is the avengers nick fury post credit scene that leads us into man on the moon 2 man on the moon was conceived as a trilogy originally right so now that kid cuddy has woken up he's only confronted issues within himself in this dreamlike state or kind of confronting his nightmares man on the moon 1 is kind of a journey which we see kid cuddy kind of depend on drugs, relationships with other people, and kind of a dream state to kind of get away from everything and kind of deal with his problems. But nothing has really changed, you know? And Man on the Moon 2 now deals with all these problems in the waking world. If Man on the Moon 1 was like the dream sequence, Man on the Moon 2 is the direct sequel of, all right, fuck, now I'm awake. I actually have to deal with all these things. I have to deal with my substance abuse problems, which is the main central theme of Man on the Moon 2, Mr. Rager. Again, I, I, it's a little it's a little hand and fisty. It's a little hammy. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so let me frame it like this. You know how you love the Matrix trilogy in spite of a lot of its choices? Yeah. That's how I feel about the common editions here. Okay. Yeah, it's it's cheesy and corny, but like you, you ultimately love the end result so much that you don't... You don't have to care too much about like the little fumbles it does. Sure. Yeah, I mean, at its essence, Man on the Moon End of Day is a coming-of-age story. Cuddy uses himself as kind of this lonely hero, this lonely stoner, to kind of take this listener through a journey of emotional and mental growth. Music is something so special and be able to do it on this magnitude where you reach millions of people. It's like, why not use that for good? Why not tell kids something that they can connect with and use in their life? And like, really, my mission statement since day one, all I wanted to do was help kids not feel alone mm -hmm. and stop kids from committing suicide. I dealt with suicide um, for the past five years, you know? Like, I know what that feels like, and I know it comes from loneliness. Mm -hmm. I know it comes from not having self-worth, not loving yourself. But what about the kids who, you know, you never really had an artist where you connected with them all across the board, you know? And I think that that's my job. I'm just really just trying to guide people and, and, and help people. Because, you know, loneliness is, is a terrible, terrible thing, man. And, and, and if you don't know how to conquer it, it can eat you alive. Now that we actually talked about the album itself, uh, let's go into a little bit about the impact that it had. Um, I'd say between 2008 with the release of A Kid Named Cuddy, um, and then going into the release of Man on the Moon and then him immediately releasing Man on the Moon 2 almost a year later uh, and then working as a protege of Kanye West between 2011 and like, two th sorry, between 2008 and 2011, I'd say Kid Cudi was unavoidable. Yeah. He was immediately influential following his first two projects. He was signed to good music, which meant he got to work hand in hand with Kanye West co-writing 808s and Heartbreak. Uh, which was one of the albums critical in making hip-hop more melodic. And then he had his own albums that also incorporated that style and made it 
just made it reach such a wider audience. Um, singing on your own tracks became much more standard, and he had an immense catalog up to that point between the two studio albums and his collaborative work with Kanye. That he just had that clout all ready to go. Not every single album he's dropped past Man on the Moon 1 or Man on the Moon 2 have been the best albums in the world or even critically acclaimed. You know, I think each album for the most part has its own merits. I'm a big defender of Indicud. I like Indicud a lot and I support that album and I stand by kind of what that album's trying to do. But there's other ones like Wizard and Speeding Bolt to Heaven I don't really care for. Um, I think kind of it's your personal taste of kind of what you like to see Cuddy do and kind of what you like seeing Cuddy do and kind of what pocket you want to see him in. But at the end of the day, even if you don't like some of those projects, you got to commend the guy for like trying different things and pushing boundaries that some people would be too scared to do. You know, I think trying and failing is better than not trying at all. Sure, you can say a lot about Kid Cudi, but you can never say, oh, he sold out. He has his own style, and it's unique to him, but he's always trying to change and evolve and see what he can do differently. I think he's always been more about, like, making music that, you know, influences people and changes lives. I would say, like, even Man on the Moon and Man on the Moon 2 didn't get a ton of critical acclaim. A lot of its respect came from the listeners. Um, It resonated with a younger generation more than it did with the adults who, you know, don't have that life experience that he has. Um, and we can say there have been countless, countless artists that have been actively or you know passively influenced by Kid Cudi since the release of his mixtape and his first two albums. We kind of talk about it at the front half of the discussion of kind of like that toxic masculinity, that like um, this kind of struggle with ego and kind of being this braggadocio kind of rapper to now you have artists like Juice World, you have artists like Denzel Curry, you have artists like Little Uzi Vert who are kind of doing the same thing Kid Cudi was doing then, but kind of in their own way. They're wearing their emotions and their hearts on their sleeves to the point that some of that music is like labeled as like emo rap, you know, which I don't really agree with that kind of term terminology of things, but just the fact that um, these young like kids are kind of sharing their experiences and kind of their struggles with like mental health um, and kind of their experiences of that. As in, I think Kid Cudi was kind of instrumental in making that a norm within the music industry and kind of being a hip hop personality or kind of a somebody under the hip hop umbrella that like says it's it's okay to be you. It's okay to talk about kind of what your struggles are and what you're going through. That's okay. Yeah, lyrically he changed up everything about you know breaking down the walls of, you know, you have to be masculine, you have to present yourself as one way if you want to make it in this industry, but sonically, he also changed things too, like you mentioned emo rap, he transcends genre, like, he presents it all with, like, the hip-hop bass, Lil Uzi Vert sounds so different, that's why Playboy Cardi sounds so different. Yeah, EXO Tour Life doesn't exist without Kid Cudi, like, there's, there's just no way. Absolutely not. My favorite and I think the most notable artist that I can think of that's been so directly influenced by Kid Cudi is Kevin Abstract. Mm. Uh, his album American Boyfriend is this heartbreaking and emotional album about the highs and lows of being a gay black man in a miserable America. And I think that's the full realization of like making an album that sounds so personal and so internal. From the production to the singing, the rapping, the, the genre-bending production, the way he uses guitars and stuff, it's one of the Kid best Cudi's realizations. Music. It's of- not even by Kid Cudi. I think Man on the Moon kind of conquers all the goals that he set out with with making music in general and kind of what did he wanted to do and what he wanted to see. I think Man on the Moon is a perfect like distillation of kind of his ideas and putting his stamp on his music.
So kind of at its essence, Man on the Moon, the end of day, is a coming-of-age story. Cuddy uses himself as the lonely hero to take the listener through a journey of emotional and mental growth. His album is able to attain a level of emotional honesty, strength, and growth not commonly found within hip-hop music. And that's what's made his album stand out and become one of the best albums of all time, in my opinion. Folks, we really appreciate you guys listening to the new Groovy and Chill Blueprints podcast. We love doing this podcast, and we hope you enjoyed listening to it, too. If you like what we do, consider showing us to a friend, a family member, an advertiser for one of those underwear websites. <laughs> consider following us on Twitter at BlueprintCast. We also want to take the time to thank our friend Sasha Lassico for making our beautiful logo. Uh, she has a website, SashaLassico.com, that's also going to be in our description, so please check that out. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kiefer. I'm your co-host, Micah. And this was The Blueprints. Blueprints.